what my writing life is for the most part is trying to be as present to the physical realities of my life in a way as best as I can right now and prioritizing that and recognizing that that supports my creative life, even though it's not at the forefront in the ways that I I want it to be. And that's always kind of a struggle, I think, for artists and creatives and writers in general of finding that sort of balance or that between the day-to-day things that just go on and we have to show up to, and then this sort of creative realm and creative time that has a different kind of time quality and experience to it. But for me, I'm, I think I'm just coming back to allowing myself to use writing Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. And Sam is a writer a writing mentor, book coach, and an incredible poet. She offers transformational writing circles, workshops, group coaching programs, private mentoring, and retreats that tend to the sacred stories of the soul called writer. And she's changed my life by gifting me my most powerful tool for emotional healing, Most of my emotions and emotional experiences can be tended to by a brisk hike in nature, usually with the puppy, but my biggest and messiest emotions can only be tended to by writing, and Sam has taught me how to do just that. These messy emotions come for me in the early hours before the sun rises, and they demand to be tended to. And I now oblige. It hasn't always been that way. I have fought it and fought it, but I now get up knowing that they are not going to stop until I do so. So I get up, I get out of bed, and I write. And for these deep emotions, the only thing that loosens their hold on me is to write. And I write until I feel like I can breathe again. And I'm so grateful for Sam helping me really navigate that process and refine it and find a way for it to work for me, which I think is beautiful that we all have our own process of writing and it can look different for everyone. And mine tends to come knocking at 4 a.m. So I now just listen. So welcome, (laughs) Sam. So happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here and to just hear you share just how this process has worked for you. So I'm sure we'll get more into that. Mm, thank you. We'll just start right in the beginning. What were your emotions or the atmosphere for your emotions as a child? Like, how did you tend to those emotions? And, and what did that look like for you? Yeah, beautiful question. Well, I guess I'd say... I mean, I guess the first response that comes to mind is an imaginative one in terms of using my mind and the capacity I had to 
contextualize and sort of frame my emotions in a particular way. I don't think that was a something cognitive in terms that I really understood what I was doing in the way that I'm speaking about it right now. But I definitely thought about what I was feeling in relationship to a much larger construct, if you will. So let me give some examples here. And I'm speaking off the cuff here, so maybe I'll change my mind mid flow mm-hmm. if, <laughs> if this isn't making sense or I don't feel it to be true. This is often why I write actually is to see what is even in my mind and to feel my way into the truth of, of what comes out. <laughs> I used to lay in bed at times imagining black holes in outer space is one example. And through writing, actually, one of the things I discovered later, or that came to me later as I wrote about that experience as a kid, was that 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 often centered around, you know, my mom was chronically ill when I was young, and was in and out of the hospital a lot. And I always, she was really, in my mind, on the verge of death all the time. So it was like the thing, you know, and she told me very young, or when I was about nine, that she was going to die soon and wasn't going to live long, which she actually did, but there was still always that sense that that her death could come at any day. And so I think part of dealing with that was to sort of go beyond myself and the intensity of those emotions that for a young person are really hard to contend with, as you well know, who as someone who had a parent die suddenly very young. So I think that was some of the way that I dealt with it in the sense of thinking beyond myself, like thinking about black holes in outer space was both exhilarating and mysterious and exciting, but it was also slightly terrifying to think about and to imagine what those really were and what would happen if I got sucked into a black hole. And I think it was a way to sort of be with both of those things be with that sense of the thrill of like being alive, but also with the sense of being afraid of mm-hmm. that, of life and death and all that comes with it. And I actually listened to one of your earlier podcasts around anxiety, which is interesting. That's a whole nother, you know, sort of conversation. But one of the things that stood out to me and what you were speaking to then is that sense of being the overly capable, I can't remember the language you use for it, but that overly capable or under capable in a moment of trauma Mm -hmm. or a moment of crisis. And in some ways I was that, I was the younger child, but I was that one that sort of overly stepped in to sort of help and be the helper and to be the one that provided something. And I think for me that turned into providing a sense of comfort or stability or home in a moment or in a situation that would, I mean, as a young person, I think my mind was working in such a way that is like, if I could provide that for myself, for one, but through providing that for my mom or other people, then I would be okay. Then I would have that. And so I I feel like I'm diverging a little bit from the the question itself, but I think I've just come to recognize that a lot of the gifts I have that work really well for working with other people are also part of the way that I 
managed and dealt with my own emotions as a young person. And I, throughout the years, and even at this point in my life, I'm unpacking that in new ways and coming to different understandings about that. And I think I'm working now to balance being more in my body around that versus kind of off in my head out in, into the deep reaches of space. Mm. <laughs> and both, both are good, but both are necessary. And of course, writing was a part of that. Although for me, writing was really more process journal type writing. I didn't, I wasn't really a super creative writer when I was young. And I wrote a few poems and a few short stories, but it was more my drive for writing and dealing with my emotions was to really try to articulate what it was I even felt or was feeling or to even capture a sense of what was going on for me. And my young journals, which I have a few of, you know, are pretty interesting to read, but the predominant theme in them is I love my mom. I love my mom. I love my mom repeated Mm. over and over again. And in a lot of different ways, which is both heartwarming and interesting to go back and read, but also a little heartbreaking at the same time, because it was the only way I knew how to just express the intensity of facing that, which really for me was the biggest emotional center of my life as a young person. When did you start turning to writing as a way of understanding these really big and complex emotions that you were having as a child? Well, it's hard to say exactly, (laughs) but I feel like it was probably when I was like nine or 10 years old. And I often revert back to that age, I think because it tends to be the time where your own identity and consciousness really sets in. So this could be a default, but I don't think so. I mean, and this is the earliest journal I think that I have, that I still have, that is, of course, only... 10 pages full and the rest is all blank and I'd wish I'd written more. Probably when I was around eight or so. And it was a Magic Merlin journal that had Magic Merlin on the front of it. And and what I loved about it, I think, and what I felt at the time when I got it as a gift, I think, for a birthday or something, was the potential of those blank pages to just be a place where I could go and be safe almost, if you will, and as well as held by something that was like unconditionally there to receive me. And so I think that's kind of what started it is just, and maybe it was even just the idea of being more grown up. That probably was a little part of it too, of this idea of sort of being able to write and reflect, which I feel like I did early on in my life anyway, because one of the other practices that I didn't mention, aside from thinking about black holes, (laughs) was going to there. I call these kind of my early sort of spiritual practices. And in the way they Mm. were, was to go to the mirror when I was about this age too, around eight to 10, climb up on the bathroom counter and like stare at myself in the mirror and say both to myself and out loud, you're you. And sort of trip myself out on that and have both this sense of looking at this like face staring back at me that's sort of this human in a particular form in a particular body as a particular person, Samantha, 
And yet also at the same time, feeling this sense of vastness that was sort of incomprehensible kind of behind and within that. And so I think for me, coming to the page sort of brought both of those things together too, in a particular kind of way of this sort of specificity of words and form and language that's kind of finite in particular, but that holds this sense of like so much more behind it that you can comprehend, but you really can't fully comprehend. I love that so much. I'm seeing just this paradox, which I feel like it's taken me a lifetime to learn how to hold and honor that space of like two things can be true at the same time. And here you are as this eight-year-old in a mirror, recognizing you are your physical body and you are your soul, right? Mm -hmm. Like in the merging of these two. And that's just really profound way that it sounds like you created and relied upon to navigate a really challenging childhood. But at the same time, you probably didn't even know that some of the fears you were having weren't happening in other people's homes. Or did you know that they were that you? That's a good question. Because I, I feel like I don't know if I was aware of that or not, because it just was living in what I knew in my experience to be, Mm -hmm. which I think over the years, as I've shared stories about my life with others and kind of randomly put things out there that other people are like, (laughs) what? Or wow. That's been the times where I've been like, oh, okay, this is not similar experience to what other people have experienced in their Mm -hmm. lives. I find it more now not surprisingly, but also sometimes surprisingly in the people that come to work with me, yourself included, that there is this resonance on some level to those kinds of experiences, whether that's having to face the death of a parent or that's actually quite common. If I think back around a lot of the the clients that I've worked with or the writers that I've supported, there's actually been a lot around the death of a parent that either happens early or is premonition to happen early in some kind of way, or that there's kind of a a traumatic relationship around that at some point in their life. So yeah, I think as a young person, though, I didn't really understand that things were really any different than what I was living with. And yet at the same time, I did because part of my own vision for myself in my life was a vision of home and stability where I've shared this story a lot, but I bought a subscription to home magazine with my allowance (laughs) early about this time to you and had a little file, you know, accordion file where I cut out plans for or pictures for bathrooms and bedrooms and big master plans for like whole houses. And at the time I, I felt like, okay, when I have that, when I have a a home or build a home for myself someday, then when I have that, I'll really be able to become myself. Mm -hmm. I'll really be able to, in some ways I thought about it as being enlightened. And to me, even as a young person and thinking about black holes and staring at myself in the mirror, there was this deep, deep desire to know things, like to know 
what life is, to know the universe, to understand black holes, to understand this essence of myself that I could feel that was part of also separate from being here in form and all of that. I felt like if I could know, and if I could have this sense of stability, then everything would be okay. And I think that's common in certain ways to a lot of people. It looks different, but that sense of arriving at the thing that they think they want, that's going to allow them to finally fill in the blank. And so that was kind of my version of that, that I really was working towards creating for myself in my life from a very young age. That connection between when I have arrived, right? Mm -hmm. When I arrive at this place, I will have become, I will be in that place. Yeah, I think we can all really relate to that. I, in particular, on my fertility journey, I see it in myself sometimes and I see it in others. And it's, yeah, when I become a mother, when I actually have a baby, right? That's when it all will begin. Yet right now is the moment. And I'm wondering if there was any desire to control in there, right? Like, is there... Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, is when we're trying to really map things out in that way, was that present for you in that process? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I don't think I would have recognized that or defined it in such a way for a long time in my life. In fact, I think I'm really now at 48 on Saturday, really coming to understand how really true and deep that goes. And yeah, I mean, I think all of it in a sense was that uh, desire and need to Mm -hmm. feel like I had some control over what was happening or going to happen in my life because I certainly recognized on some level that I couldn't control the life or death of of my mother when that would happen and was Mm -hmm. constantly sort of waiting for like when that was going to be. And so, yes, that's definitely many things have, I think, arisen that have been both positive and helpful, but also some other patterns of behavior that probably aren't so helpful in terms of that need to control and to have a sense of a a plan and to know how things are going to go or want to know how they're going to go. Or for me, even, I think one of the things that's happened for me, and I won't speak too much into this unless you want to go there, but this last year in particular, I've had a lot of health things go on from a torn ACL and knee reconstruction surgery to a double breast biopsy and some heart arrhythmia and COVID and like all these things Mm -hmm. have just happened sort of back to back to back. And in the process of it, I really kind of came up against this feeling or this sense of the way that the energy of trying has been present in me in my life. And even this sense of the idea that I would have really embraced a lot of my life up to this point of trying to dig into like, well, what does this all mean? Like, why is this happening now? What does it mean? And what lessons am I here to get out of this? And what is the universe telling me? And and those kinds of things, which have certainly been helpful, but I kind of reached a point in my life 
this year with all of it that it was like, okay, I need to actually even set that desire and need to make meaning down because right now it's not helpful. Hmm. And right now it, there's a subtle ways where it has become part of that impulse and gesture for control in some way. And I'm not able to, I'm not even able to, like I've, I've almost lost my capacity through all of this to do that. And it's disorienting and disconcerting, Mm. but it also feels like something necessary around letting go of that kind of control, if you will. It isn't to say I don't think meaning is important and that that it doesn't come into our lives, but I think it's the way in which, for me, it became sort of this centering mechanism of survival and support that included a, a sense of control. You know what I mean? Maybe you're shaking your head. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, this is like speaking to my soul. This has been one of the it's been a way that I survive by making Mm -hmm. meaning out of the really challenging times. And just recently in these last, like I would say two years, I've become more aware that for me, like I love how you use, it's almost like a manipulative way that control shows up like a sneaky way that, oh, it's your, your control. We're masking it with some spiritual language of like, oh, this happened. The universe did this because of this. Right. And For me, I have found it has almost been a way of bypassing what it is I'm feeling when I'm in the really uncomfortable feelings, like the really, the really heavy, messy feelings. My desire to like neatly put things in boxes and be like, well, this happened because this and all this, and someday it's all going to make sense was just, it can be a way for me of bypassing my emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was true for me. Me too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's hard to sit in the discomfort. It's hard to be present with the ugliest emotions, the most uncomfortable emotions. And I don't know yeah. if anything can trigger that as much as our own relationship with life and death and illness Mm -hmm. and our physical health, right? Like can be why Mm -hmm. it it becomes so triggered in those moments. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other factor to that, that really came up for me around that. And I think this is true of others that I've talked to who certainly may have had this kind of individual experience for themselves, but also I think collectively as we've navigated through COVID and the pandemic and lockdowns and all of that is this sense of the desire needed to to get back to something, to get back to life as normal or to get back to the way things were, to get back to my body the way it it was before this year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And to me, it wasn't even a very conscious thought, but I started to recognize and realize like, oh, that's sort of the underlying consciousness that's there that I'm trying to find my way back into something that that was before. Yeah. And I realized like, oh, okay, hello, Samantha. That's not how it works. And what is it to meet this? Like, what if this never changes? Or what if 
there is no going back. And and there certain things obviously can come back into play, but you know, as the saying goes, you can't step into the same river twice. And mm-hmm. so what is it to be in relationship to what's happening now? And to meet that really to become more present and to become more embodied, to actually get closer to feeling that sense of those complex and intense emotions that you can't even, you don't even fully consciously understand most of the time, at least for me. And how do you just be with that rather than, yeah, trying to get it to be something different, to make it into something else or to get it to be what it once was, all of those things that again are part of that need for for control and having some sense of agency or knowingness in the midst of total uncertainty and the unknown. Yeah. And I think our childhoods, you know, set us up for <laughs> that desire for certainty. Right. And especially when we're, you know, talking about experiencing trauma or death of a parent or the looming death of a parent that you lived with for so long just set us up for this desire to to have certainty everywhere. And I think COVID was a collective moment to show us all of the certainty we crave and we try to build constructs and build, you know, our entire lives around doesn't exist. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Or could be gone in an instant from what we thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Can you share your journey with writing? How does writing continue to shift throughout your life? What, <laughs> what does that mm-hmm. journey look like? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I was thinking of that as you were opening this and speaking about, you know, the process and understanding how it works for you personally and individually and how that's so much of what I love to support people with is this sense of kind of this sort of known and common stages of of a writing life and writing cycle and writing practice, but also what it is to be in relationship to that in your own unique and individual way and come to know and trust and understand that. And that's not always easy. And there's always these different phases. And and I think for me, I'm in a phase right now of really, you know, re-establishing that. I mean, it's almost kind of back to this sort of parallel multiple truth situation where I both feel more comfortable and confident in my, my writing and my process. And at the same time, I also feel like I have no idea about my direction right now. I have certainly through all these health stuff this year and up some other family thing while my father now who's 94 is in his late stages of of life and dying and my stepfather is as well who has stage 4 cancer and just went into the hospital this weekend like right now it's what my writing life is for the most part is trying to be as present to the physical realities of my life in a way as best as I can right now and prioritizing that and recognizing that that supports my creative life, even though it's not at the forefront in the ways that I, I want it to be. And that's always kind of a struggle, I think, for 
artists and creatives and writers in general of finding that sort of balance or that between the day-to-day things that just go on and we have to show up to and then this sort of creative realm and creative time that has a different kind of time quality and experience to it but for me I'm I think I'm just coming back to allowing myself to use writing as I mean there's projects I'm working on I have a poetry manuscript and book that I really want to I thought I would publish this year but I don't and there's still a few months left but I don't know <laughs> I don't foresee that happening in the way that I originally imagined at this time last year before everything with my health happened so there's things floating and that are there that I I'm looking to but I I honestly have kind of lost a sense of motivation and direction and having to wait and listen and just show up to the page as freely and as without agenda as possible, which is a huge part of what I bring forward in in the restorative writing cycle and, and writing that is foundational, but that comes to it from this place of being called to attempt to articulate and express something. And for me, I'm having to really come back to that in a way and let go of my ideas about where I need to be with this manuscript or other essays and things I've been wanting to write, but I haven't sat down and worked on and letting myself just show up as best as I can to not knowing where my writing is or where it wants to take me, but still following those threads that are there and that, I don't know, hold that connection. And for me, it's back to one of the most important things I think for my writing life and my writing practice and process is having a structure of support for that. So I'm in a writing group myself with a writing mentor and guide that meets a couple times a month and is four hours long every time we meet. So it's mm. not, you know, it's it's intense. But my mentor, whose name is Dina Metzger, she holds that place that is there that allows me to keep that thread of connection going that has me still holding the question of like, what is it I really want to work on or articulate right now? And, and what does that look like for me? And how do I show up to it? Which often is part of that cycle. Like we find those times where we've moved away from things and are trying to find our way into what is there and what's next. And other times where it's like, oh, that clarity is there and you're, you're working to develop that and to share that and to bring something into forms of completion versus kind of that wild nebula of emergence that, you know, and all of that can be happening simultaneously. And in many ways it is, as I get close to the end of this poetry manuscript, there's also then this whole nebulous place of like, well, what really is important to me now that I want to attempting to articulate. And yeah, I think it's it's been harder to find, I think, because of what we were just talking about of this place of letting go of making meaning in the usual ways that I once did and sort of questioning that for myself. Like, do I even believe what I'm writing? Do I even believe mm. that it's true? And I'm kind of in that place of waiting to feel and know that it does feel true. <laughs> that makes sense. I love this because I've never 
heard it from your own experience in this way and you have embodied this. So I imagine you've been met with this place multiple times on your journey, but you embodied and held this space for me. And I watched you do it with many others where we would step away from our writing practice in the way we thought it should look or make a commitment to write every single day and then it doesn't happen and and in all these ways and allowing the space, which this is, I mean, these are your words in my head that are always there. Just write what wants to be written. Just write what wants to be written. And I've had this experience with yoga and with meditation where it's like, I will do a practice every single day with some of these kundalini meditations, it's like 30 days, it's 90 days, it's 120 days. And I will do the same exact meditation every single day for 120 days, right? And then I'll get to the end of that meditation and know that it's it's met its completion. And there's this period of time where I may not meditate for a little while, or I might just do random meditations each day, like just nothing, you know, totally not the same experience over and over again. And it's like, being really comfortable with that place of waiting, right? Like waiting for the inspiration to come, waiting for that moment to finish the manuscript, to know, and I guess not even just wait, it's so beyond waiting, it's trusting, like Mm -hmm. trusting that it will come. And you have coached me through those moments and I've seen you do it with other people. And so to hear you in your own practice of, yeah, it may be uncomfortable right now, but I'm trusting that I'll know when the next right move is and what that is. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it really comes back to this sense too, of it's like, that's what happens when you make the commitment and understand that it's a commitment to a writing life and not a writing project. (laughs) Mm. It allows for that ebb and flow in that cycle. And I think it also comes back to understanding that those times away are actually necessary. They're not a problematic failing. Mm, Say more about necessary. Say more. It's it's taken me a long time to at least step out of the psychology. And I'm probably even still there in that sense of like, oh, but I really want to be working on this and writing this really well and publishing this and doing this. But there is a way I think where it is necessary to not be in the writing and in the process. And I think it's, you know, it's similar to what you said that like, once you get into, I I feel like this is true for me and and I see it a lot with a lot of the writers that I work with that you get into a routine and a rhythm And you do that 30 days of the Kundalini (laughs) exact same meditation. But at some point, there comes a point where you lose connection to what's at the heart of it for you, perhaps, Mm. or at least that's been my experience, where it starts to become the motion and not the actual place of deeper connection and expression. And again, I'm not always conscious of that, but somewhere my body might recognize that. And it needs to leave. It needs to go away and and break open that. I don't want to use the word rut because that has negative connotations, but breaks open that sort of stasis of consistency. And I think as artists, 
in my experience and artists I know that it's important to have that consistency, but it's also important to disrupt that consistency because it's precisely during those times and these times that I'm in right now where I have to like dig deeper. I have to root into some other part of myself that I have yet to know Mm. in order to find my way again. And maybe it's with that same practice in that same way, but maybe there's a variation on it, or maybe there's a different approach or quality or an entirely different path for that practice that needs to happen in order to move to the next iteration or the next level, not as in a hierarchy, but as in the level of just greater understanding. And so I think both again are true because I signed up again for my, you know, nine month commitment of four hours a time with my writing mentor, which is, I was a little like, Oh, am I up for that? I don't think I'm up for that. I don't think (laughs) I want to, but I, I made the decision to do it. Once I made the decision, I was like, Oh, Sam, what a silly notion for you to think you weren't going to do that. But I had to ask the question and I had to give myself that permission to wonder if I could even have the capacity to do it. But I also had to create the structure and the place for me to stay connected because I know this is an absolutely fundamental, necessary process and practice for me, even if, again, it doesn't look like I want it to. And I even wrote out a list of permissions for myself Mm. that I needed to give myself in order to show up to that and not have it be an extra stress. It was like permission to write horribly, permission to do my own thing and not follow directions if I wanted to, (laughs) like permission. I can't remember all the list of it, but just even doing that was really helpful. But it's, and just today I was writing again, something that feels like it might move into something else other than journaling that is just beginning to emerge that's coming from my commitment to creating this structure. So the structure is what helps me trust. So if I don't have those structures, I don't fully trust that I'm going to come back to, you were mentioning that sense of trust, that I'm going to fully come back to my writing because I could easily find very brilliant mind excuses that tell me why I, I don't need to do it or don't have to do it. So it's it's keeping it's I've come a long way enough in my own practice in supporting others to understand that if I have structures that keep me connected, then I can trust myself to go away and to feel unguided. But if I don't have those, I could just as easily let it slip a lot further into the background than I really wanted to, if that makes sense. Makes total sense. It's this paradox of the freedom within a discipline, within a structure allows you actually to have that freedom. And I know for me, I had taken a pause at being in the writing group with you and I didn't write. Like I wrote when it was absolutely necessary, like Mm -hmm. when I couldn't breathe in those moments, that's when I would write. And it was very, it was just so sporadic during that time. And for me, signing up to be in your group again is that's what I need. 
I can do yoga and I can meditate. Those muscles are built for me. I don't need someone to hold that space for me. And sometimes I do, and I end up going to yoga. I am a part of a virtual yoga membership, but I can do those on my own. I can do that. And this is something that it's a newer muscle to me. It's really only been these last two years of working with you. And and so I need the container. And I am very aware of that. I've gotten the intuitive message to come back to writing and that it's time. And I also really trusted in the time that I wasn't writing, life was happening. Kind of like what you were saying about that rooted in the new parts of yourself. That's what my experience has been these last few months is just life has been happening and really trying to understand what that means. And writing is allowing me a space to capture that, not even capture it, but to make sense of it, right? I I was looking at your website and uh, it's exactly how I feel, which is one of the things you had said was like, the writing allows you to actually understand what it is you're feeling, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, I mean, I'll be curious to know this for you. I do find this in my experience. And what I was just speaking to is that having gone away, actually, now that you come back and are going to come back in a more structured way, that there's going to be new insights and muscles around that, (laughs) that will reveal themselves that I think are part of that process of having, having gone away necessarily for whatever reason, you know, I mean, and obviously you, you were writing when you Mm -hmm. absolutely needed to, but yeah, sometimes, you know, you need that. And I think with writing too, there's a level of cognitive processing that For me, sometimes if I'm not finding my way in my writing, I know I have to step away and get deeper into my body physically and also through Mm -hmm. other forms of creativity that are visual or creative that are not so much at that cognitive word level that there's something else that needs to emerge first before I can even begin to put it into words or articulate it. And that's important. That's Mm -hmm. an important part of the process as well, too. Thank you for saying that, because that's what has amped up these last few months was learning breath work. And breath work has Mm. become this tool for healing for me. And so the things that I've been doing have been very much body-based, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's key. Mm -hmm. Mm, Thank you. One last question before we go into the rapid fire. And... (laughs) Why do you think the writing works to help us heal our emotions? Like, why is this connection between our emotions and the writing? Like, what drives that? Yeah. Well, I think right now my response to that is to channel a little bit of my mentor and at least the ways in which the things that she says and holds for me are being integrated for me in the way that I can really catch myself speaking about this. Because it's certainly a question right now in terms of this idea of healing and health, which I've, you know, in the past, when I started my business and throughout the years of like, really, this is about writing as a path of healing and writing as a spiritual practice. 
And I've known what that means, but that's kind of up in the air again for me now of like, okay, now what does it mean? And I think for me, what it means right now is a path of healing that I want to speak to both the individual level and a bigger collective level. And one of the things that my writing mentor invites me into is this idea of wisdom. Like, what does it mean to both be take responsibility as a writer and to step into this sense of embodying wisdom? And what she says about that is that wisdom is not just a an insight or a point of view or some great tidbit or nugget that you want to share with others. Wisdom is our ability to both see and understand the relationships between things, the complex layered relationship between things, and to be able to render the complexities of our situations without actually necessarily taking a rooted point of view. And I think for me right now, what healing is and how writing fits into that is to be letting go of the things I maybe once held as true or the ideas that I have about what is right and wrong or left or right. I mean, and there's still certain things that I feel to fundamentally be true. But it's sort of opening up into a a larger conversation that, again, brings forward all the things that create any particular circumstance, whether that's a conservative, right-wing conspiracy theorist, somebody who I really feel like a strong reaction to, but also have a deeper sense of curiosity and want to sort of understand where those ideologies come from. And it's not easy to do. And it's not easy to, you know, there's a book I just read that had some great info on environmentalism that I think is really important. And then I came to find out that this author and the other author are really fundamentally transphobic and putting out a lot of terrible things in the trans world. Then it was like, ah, like here are these two truths or these realities of this really great work they're doing around environmental conservationism and then this really damaging terrible work they're doing around anti-trans phobia so what i'm getting at is that there's i think that writing provides us the opportunity and this is what i hold for myself this is what dina holds for me this is what i hope to hold for writers that i support is how do we step into a place that is both rooted in ourselves and our experience and our own pain and our own wisdoms and understandings about life and render that. But how do we also go beyond that in such a way that we bring forward the complex dimensionality of any other person or situation that brings about a deeper sense of understanding and connection? And to me, that's what both restorative writing, as I was naming it, and then come to find out before I even knew Dina, she's been writing about the literature of restoration, which is a literature that has self-scrutiny, that is going deeper into examining our consciousness and our language and the ways in which our own damages are perpetuated 
and reflected in the stories we tell and the language that we use. And so I'm interested in unraveling that and understanding what the bigger healing story is that I'm in and that we are in collectively Mm. as a society. So I know that was very sort of complicated and layered, but it's part of what I'm grappling with myself and wanting to explore and and understand and even articulate in other kinds of ways and more succinct ways, maybe perhaps. Nope, it's I'm seeing it. It's like being able to move from black and white to gray, right? And being comfortable yeah. with all of these truths at the same time and the exploration, like being able to explore what that truth is and does this still resonate for me? How does it change? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And to be able, and I think one last thing I'll say about that yeah. is I think that the writing is the one place that I know for me and those that are the so-called writers, soul-called and so-called writers (laughs) that are drawn to work with me is that sense of the writing is the means to begin to see those relationships and those connections that you might not otherwise see. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. That was exactly what I have in my notes that I wanted to be able to convey to people listening is that's your magic. like. Mm. That has been the tr- this incredible gift of working with you is you can see the heartbeat of what it is I'm writing and all of these threads that these tiny threads that I cannot see, even as I continue to explore my work, you see the connections between one random piece of writing and another very random piece of writing about a dog or whatever it is. <laughs> like you connect all of it. And and that, I mean, you are truly incredibly intuitive. And what I love about working with you is being able to, to see those things that I cannot yet see, right? Mm. You hold that space for me to grow into and you just see these connections that like almost seem invisible to me. And then once I see them, I can't unsee them. They're there. Mm. Right. Mm. Yes. That is indeed what I love about this work and where that inherent sense of meeting making is actually serves life and isn't trying to control it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. This is, I'm nervous that this may be our hardest rapid fire that we've had because when I ask you, what is your favorite book? Yeah, what is your favorite book? I mean, can we keep this under 10 books? Okay, I'll say this. Yeah. There's no such thing as my favorite book. Okay, okay. I have favorite books at different times. And right now, my favorite book is On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vaughn. You introduced me to his work and mm, there's a line that is my favorite line of poetry I've ever read and I'll have to put that in the show notes because I can't oh, recite it please do. Heart, but yeah oh okay what are you currently yeah. reading I'm currently reading or rather rereading Time is a Mother by Ocean Baum which is his newest poetry book and The Bean Trees by Barbara Kingslover and one I just got as a gift called A Vertical Art 
by Simon Armitage, which is their essays collected that he gave lectures on poetry and kind of what is poetry and the sort of way that it fits in our lives and culture from this professor who was in residence at, at Oxford University. So a friend from England just sent it to me. So I'm always actually reading multiple books at once, yep. <laughs> some of which I get all the way through and some of which I don't, but mm-hmm. I'm okay with that now. I used to see it as a deficiency. <laughs> mm. Nope. I love it. Mm. What is one thing you know for sure? One thing I know for sure is that not knowing and uncertainty is a, a skill that I feel like I am and the rest of the world at the moment are really being asked to develop and that being willing to ask questions more than to know something Mm. um, and to have, again, that sort of stiff and rooted point of view is what creates possibilities for deeper connections, for fellowship and for the kinds of conversations and innovations and creations that we need to address the complexity of the times that we're living in. Mm. Love it. And I won't use the word favorite. Do you have a quote or (laughs) poem or something you would like to leave us with? I think because of where we went and to kind of round out what I was saying about Dina and the healing story, because I was going to read a poem because of course I'd much rather read a poem, Mm. but I guess I'll save that. I'll mention the poem. The poem I wanted to read was um, What to Remember When Waking by David White. But I think the quote I'd like to share is one from Dina about story and healing. And so I'm going to share that. So this is from Dina Metzger. She said, a story is not simply a narrative of events of what happened to one or how one is feeling or a review of one's personal life. A story that is a healing story is the perception of aligned events storied histories of all sorts, personal, family, cultural, political, social, land-based, and environmental, of dreams and perceptions, experiences, emotions, intuitions, memories, and ideas one has about healing, and finally, spiritual wisdom, beliefs, and understandings in particular, which cohere to reveal a possible foundation for the illness and also relevant and pragmatic ways to meet it. Why did this illness in particular occur to this person in particular at this time in particular? So to follow story is to understand the path of healing. Each of our stories is a universe. Each one of us is living a story. To discover its shape and essence is essential soul making. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight-week virtual book study of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study, I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? 
Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.